when did we start talking about, when did we start focusing on awe and love and the meditations that bring them about? Which chapter? Just tell me the number. When did we start? Yeah, what chapter did we start? Yeah, I mean, you could just look over my shoulder. And 41, okay, fine. Fine, right. 41, and we spoke about the fact that you got to have awe before love. And then 42, we spoke about the internal Meshurabeinu, the das, the ability to focus on the abstract until you emotionally react to it. And in 43, we spoke about two levels of love, Abaraba and Abaselam. We spoke about two levels of awe, higher and lower. 44, we spoke about further gradations in love, Nafshi Avisicha, Olaylo, and Kibrod Yishtadl. Two loves that are hybrid loves. They're sort of based on something that's already wired in there, but also you got to contemplate a little to expand them. 45, we did a little departure. We did a roundabout way of triggering love. Do you remember 45? We gave a roundabout way. The objective was love, but we used another emotion to get to the love. Remember what it was? Say it loud. Somebody said it. Compassion. Compassion. Okay. Right? Compassion on the plight of your soul, which is really God's plight. Have compassion on God, and then you will come to love God. Okay. Then in 46, we, we presented a principle. It's based on a saying of King Solomon, the wisdom of King Solomon. And that principle is Kemaim upon him upon, right? That's the scriptural way that it's uh, phrased, as water reflects a face to a face. And it means reciprocal, or the reciprocal nature of love. That when you feel loved, then you feel loving. And in 46, if you remember... What, how are we supposed to feel loved in chapter 46? How are we supposed to feel loved? We're supposed to contemplate what love story? What love story are we supposed oh, to contemplate in 46? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the Exodus, culminating in the revelation at Sinai. And it's described there with a parable at length of a poor, wretched, despised commoner who's living in a garbage heap and the great king comes down personally, removes him and brings him into the palace and uh, shares with him a closeness like none of the other subjects enjoy. And then, yeah, so far so good. And then in chapter 47, we ask the question, well, how can we bring this out of the historical and bring it into the here and now? And we explained that you can feel loved by contemplating the Exodus, not just as the historical Exodus, but also as something that happens every single time that we transcend our bodily limitations. We can, we can transcend our situation in this world and unite with God at will through the means which he has made available to us namely the mitzvahs and when we realize that Hashem has provided us that means to rise above our situation and unite with him we will feel loved and when we feel loved consequently we will feel loving and that brought us to where we currently are, which is the beginning of chapter 48. It all sounds familiar? Okay. So I'm going to ask you to bear in mind 
I hope that you don't forget anything that we learn in this <laughs> class. But right now, I want you to bear in mind that this principle of kamaima ponim el ponim, or reciprocal love, is going to continue to be the basis for understanding the loves that we're going to uh, talk about in uh, the following two chapters. But first, a seeming departure. Chapter 48 starts off talking about a subject that we don't normally get into so much in Tanya, at least not in the first volume of Tanya, the first 53 chapters, which focus on our personal service of Hashem. And we don't speak so much in Tanya about other subjects that Chassidus explains elsewhere, namely the nature of reality and the spiritual worlds. We don't get into that so much, at least not in volume one of time. Here at the beginning of chapter 48, he starts to discuss the concept of tzimtzum. Tzimtzum literally means contraction or compression. And it is the concept which explains how a finite creation emerges within the midst of infinity without being overwhelmed out of existence. How is it possible for there to be a creation that has dimension However great and lofty that dimension might be, you might say, oh, well, the universe is so vast. Yeah, but it still has dimension. It still has measure. How is finitude possible in the midst of infinity, God's infinity? So we explain that there's a concept called tzimtzum, which, again, is translated as compression or uh, condensation by which the infinite makes room for the finite. The infinite makes a space within which there can be finite creations. And without this tzimtzum, no creation would be possible. Not even the creation of the spiritual worlds. Daltarba makes this point very clear here in this chapter. That it's not just that the physical world would not come into being without tzimtzum. Even the, the highest heavens could not exist as they do now without tzimtzum. Because after all, even in the highest heavens, there is some degree of finitude. Meaning, this angel's understanding and, and, and delighting in godliness on this level. And that angel's understanding and delighting in godliness on that level. Just the fact that there are levels, let alone different levels, means that there is finitude. So in order for that to exist, there had to be a symptom. Now, says the Alter Rebbe, the exact nature of the symptom, how it takes place, and even what it is, will not be ex explained in this chapter. He says it will not be explained here. What does here mean? Probably the entire first volume of Tanya, because that's not the point here. This is not 
a treatise on cosmology, that's not the subject. We're not here to understand the nature of created existence. The point of this volume, the point of Lukuti Amorim Chelek Aleph, the 53 chapters of Tanya, is to explain how it is very near to us, in our heart, and our mouth, that we may do it. That hasn't changed. This is our guidebook. In as much as this information is useful to us in our personal development, becoming more useful to Hashem, then we are going to incorporate some of that knowledge into the present discussion. But we're not going to get into an explanation of how this works, how the symptom works, or even exactly what it is. So you can hold your questions about symptom until another time, until another class. <coughs> right now, just understand the basic idea. that Hashem created worlds. And worlds, by definition, even the loftiest, most rarefied, most spiritual worlds, are finite. They possess some dimension. And in order for that to be possible, there had to be a symptom. And we should consider the fact that the difference between the infinite and the finite, even the greatest number within the finite, the difference, the, the example the Alta Rebbe gives is the difference between a, a, a billion and infinity is incomparably greater than the difference between one and a billion. Because a billion ones make a billion. But no amount of billions makes infinity. It's not an amount. Infinity is not just a sum of finite amounts. Infinity is a whole different category. So, we're trying to wrap our minds around the fact that there is this finite world that it is absolutely insignificant compared to the source that enlivens it, brings it into being and enlivens it. And in order for that to be possible, the amount of restraint and containment and concealment required is unfathomable. But that limits God's power. What? That limits God's power. Well, it's an expression of God's power. But I'm saying it's unfathomable to us, but it makes it easier for God. This has nothing to do with easy or difficult. What's unfathomable is the, the mathematics of it. Imagine putting a swimming pool into a shot glass. You couldn't really imagine it happening in real life, but at least you could dream of it. Now, imagine putting infinity into the finite. We can't imagine it. And if you can't imagine it, you're not imagining infinity. And yet, the finite is being powered by the infinite. So there's this interface in place that's allowing the finite not only to exist within the infinite, but to be powered by the infinite without being overwhelmed. Explains also 
that there are two kinds of energy, two kinds of creative energy in general. There's the, we call them both light. We refer to the creative energy as light. And there is the filling light and the encompassing light. The oyer hamamale and the oyer hasevev. Filling light, encompassing light. Oir hamamale, oir hasaivev. The oir hamamale, the light that fills the world, is primarily what we are discussing when we're talking about condensed infinity. When we talk about the action of the tzimtzum and what it yields, we are primarily talking about this filling light. <coughs> because not only does the filling light have to be condensed enough to be um, <coughs> to not be overwhelming within creation, but furthermore, the filling light has to be condensed in various different ways and degrees so that it can provide the right amount of energy to all the different and disparate creations that exist within the world. In other words, you got one appliance running on one voltage and another appliance running on another voltage. So if you run the amount of energy that's good for a cow, and you, but you put it into a blade of grass, you're going to overwhelm the blade of grass. So the mamale, the filling light, has to undergo incredible tzimtzum, unfathomable tzimtzum. Right? I, again, I say unfathomable because it's this quantum leap between infinite and finite. And then... <coughs> It has to be attenuated to be appropriate to each and every individual creation that's being run on that energy, which is every creation. They're all being run on that energy. There's, at the same time, there's a soyvev, <coughs> encompassing light. which um, is also creating the world, but not by filling it. And so it doesn't get compressed in order to uh, be able to uh, be accommodated. The way the Alter Rebbe describes that is, picture the globe. You know, in your mind's eye, picture the globe. Uh, keeping in mind that that image of the globe, if you would zoom in, would reveal trillions, I don't know, quadrillions, whatever, teeming life forms. Humans and animals and, and vegetation. And there's a lot of detail. And it's all taking place on that, on that globe. And when you picture that globe, it is in your mind. So if you would sort of imagine Hashem thinking of the world and the world coming into being within him, inside of him. Not he being inside of it, but it being inside of him. talk about the male, the filling light, that's Hashem putting his energy inside the world. When we talk about the soive, we're talking about how Hashem surrounds the world. But then the Alter Rebbe makes clear that these are only metaphors. We're not talking spatially. He says, please do not think when I say in and out, I mean spatially. That's not what I mean. 
What I mean is manifest and not just unmanifest, but unmanifestable. You have to look up if that's even a word in English. The effect of mamalia, filling light, is discernible. Primarily, it is discernible by the fact that the thing has life and moves around. It's getting filled is evident by the fact that it's, it's running, it's got its energy. The soivev is not detectable. The effect of the transcendent or encompassing light, we cannot detect. We don't discern its effect on the created being in a manifest way. Even though the soivev is also involved in the creation of the being, and perhaps even more primarily so. Yeah. So is the surrounding light in in some way that we can't understand an element of symptom also? Or no? Yes, but we're not going to get into this discussion right here and now. Yes. The question was, is the save of light also to some degree an element or product of symptom? The answer is, yeah, to some degree, yes. But let's... The Alter Rebbe already told us we're not going to get too deeply into these concepts. And I know everyone's sitting here and thinking, too deeply? is too deep already. <laughs> it's really not. It's really not much at all. This is, a, this is only the most basic, rudimentary introduction to the concept of tzimtzum. And, uh, and, and by the way, that's pretty much it. That's all we're going to say. That's all we're going to say about it. Okay? So that's that's forty-eight. That's it. That's forty-eight. Now you're gonna say, hold on a second. What's what's practical about this? What am I supposed to do with this? So that's why I told you to bear in mind that we are still talking about we're still talking about the reciprocal property of love the idea that we uh, introduced in 47 in 46 we introduced it in 46 we continue it continued in 47 Reciprocal love chapters are sort of twins of twins. You have 46 and 47 go together, and 48 and 49 go together. Yeah? Is Suli like the spiritual force? Is it more a spiritual force? What? The effect of Suli? The effect of Amali is also spiritual. But you see it. But you can see it in a way that you sense with your uh, physical it's more senses. Tangible. It's more tangible. Yeah, it is tangible. Based on your introduction, it's yeah. practical sense because you're saying for God to take that kind of force that's so unfathomable yeah. and hold it back, yeah. that's, that gives you to hold back. You may be the only person. You know how hard it is to hold back. You know, Oh, wow, you've seen, did you want know, Tanya before? So how do you know where we're going right now? That's exactly where we're going. See, you, you, you are empathizing with God right now. Which is the right thing, that's right. You're, you're missing, okay. Well, say it loud, Frederick, just use your teaching voice. teaching voice? Yeah. I said I see the pragmatic aspect of it because based on the fact that he said it's reciprocal love, the fact that God would restrain such an unfathomable, um, such an unfathomable presence or light to work so hard to restrain that is very hard. For God to do that for us makes us realize holding back is very hard. So, 
my question kind of goes yeah. to could you define I still can't read it. Can you repeat what she said? Because I'm going to say it, yeah. Okay. If indeed the Tzimtzum is unfathomable in the sense that it's the restraint of an unfathomably powerful source, then think about, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but think about the, what, 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 what <laughs> say it again, I'll, I'll say it into the mic as you say because you said it better than I'm going to say it. How'd you say it? <laughs> Yeah. I said, if, what are we define the reciprocal love? Don't even get the reciprocal okay, love, but so what, what were you... hold back that unfathomable, like I asked you that question, yeah, about how yeah. could it be that... So if Hashem can hold back that unfathomable force, that power. That power, which is so in, infinite. Infinite no power. No matter how many billions you have, it'll never amount to infinity. And, and he's holding that at, at back. back for us. He's holding that back for us. You, you added for us. And we know how hard it is to hold back. Right, so that really so shows, that really shows how much love he has for us. That's chapter 49 in a nutshell. That was it. That's chapter 49. Now we don't even have to learn chapter 49. Chapter 50. That's exactly right. 100% correct. Chapter 49 says like this. I mean, that, that is the whole chapter. That was it. Chapter 49 says like this. There are many, 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 many types and degrees of tzimtzum that bring about all the different levels within creation. Not just the physical world, but the vast spiritual worlds as well. However, in general, we speak about three categories of tzimtzum as three worlds or three systems of reality. Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. If you're going to ask me what about the first world of Atsilos, it's uh, barely a world. The tzimtzum is so flimsy there, it barely qualifies as a world, so we're primarily talking about Bria, Yitzira, Asiya. And that the sum total of all of the concealments that are in place is this physical world, this phenomenological universe, which we know with our senses, our bodily senses, Consider the fact that the word world, oilam, ein vav lamed mem, is from the word helen, concealment. Every world is a concealment, and every concealment compounds the prior concealment. Imagine that there are translucent curtains on the window until we put so many layers of translucent curtains on the window that we have the effect of opacity. The light is completely blocked out. That is our physical world. We spoke a little bit about this kind of idea before when we were talking about Hashem wanting a dwelling place in the physical world, remember? Back in 36. So this physical world where your soul was sent and where the Torah was given, and where you are expected to live out your mission, is the product of many, many degrees and layers of tzimtzum. start to empathize. Now start to put yourself in Hashem's place. If that were possible. He removes himself, so to speak, 
Obviously, he doesn't literally, well, I shouldn't say obviously because this was a point of contention among the opponents of Hasidism in its early generations. But I, I suppose at this point in history, we can say obviously, Tzimtzum doesn't mean Hashem actually is not present in the world because Hashem is everywhere. But what we mean is that he conceals himself so thoroughly that our experience is as if he were not there. In other words, he makes room for us to exist. He makes room for us to have our own subjective experience of reality. He even makes room for us to have free will. And all of this is because of his desire for a relationship with us. He makes space within himself for us so that we can be equal partners in a loving relationship. Equal partners in a loving relationship. That means that we have agency to choose being in that relationship and how to express that relationship. This is something that angels can't do. In fact, <clears throat> souls and bodies cannot even do it. I mean, souls in heaven cannot even do it. Sorry. Souls in heaven are like angels. They can't even do it. Only souls and bodies can have this relationship. Remember, spiritual beings like angels and souls, they are their their sense of separate selfhood is so um, flimsy that you can hardly say that they are equal partners in a loving relationship. But our sense of selfhood, souls and bodies, is so rigid. In fact, not only is our sense of selfhood uh, uh, rigid, I would say that it has the potential to even become all-consuming to the point where we even feel like our experience, our subjective experience of, of, of life is absolute reality. Just kind of crazy if you think about it, but that's how intense the symptom is, that that possibility even exists. Yeah? So, if our sense of selfhood becomes so strong, mm -hmm. is that when we're at the level of Asiya? And then, like, if we're at the level of Berea, it means that we've been able to be brittle and able to allow ourselves to allow Hashem to, to encompass us, to okay. come in. So you're asking as far as the worlds that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yes, this state of mind, which is uniquely human, this sense of separate selfhood is a product, a unique product of Asiya, and not just of Asiya, but of the physical dimension of Asiya. It only takes place within the physical world. But as far as the question of transcending and going to a higher level or a, a, a ascending to a level of consciousness from a higher world, that's for after 120. Oh. After 120, so the soul is rewarded, and it goes up to different levels of Ganadin, of paradise, 
which are either in Yitzira or in Bria. And that's, that's a reward, that's nice. That's like the spiritual hot tub. That's the, the sauna. That's where souls go to have a, nice, have a nice time. You know, that's where they retire. But the ultimate goal is not what the soul is going to be able to experience in the afterlife. The ultimate goal is in the circumstances of embodiment, with the rigid sense of self that we've been given, to be able to consciously acknowledge Hashem's presence in our lives. Not to do it up there, not to make that acknowledgement from up there. That's a no-brainer up there. That's the default up there. To do it from down here. But it's sadic, for example. Mm -hmm. Could be operating in, in a higher world. Yeah. Well I mean we Right. That's 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 true. But if you remember from chapters 35, 36, 37, what really matters is what we do down here. What really matters is what we do down here. Yeah? So on that note, yeah. that it matters what we do down here, which are the mitzvot. Yes. So we perform the mitzvot in order to acknowledge and sustain the loving, the reciprocal loving relationship. Okay, this is where we're headed. Okay. Okay, so let's stay okay. with the flow. This is exactly where we're headed. Okay. Once we have acknowledged that Hashem exercises unfathomable restraint in order to make space for us, it follows that we will have a reflexive reaction to that information. Well, maybe not to the information. You have to actually meditate on it, so it's more than information, but we know how to do this. We've been speaking about this for weeks. You take this fact and let it sink in. Focus on this idea. We know what it means to use our das, to use our focus, to allow an abstract idea to move us to an emotional response. Contemplate. Let's meditate right now. We can do it right now. Contemplate that the infinite has restrained himself, held himself back in order to make space for you. In order to be able to have a loving relationship with you in order that you may be a partner in a loving relationship. If you let that idea seep in, and you understand that Hashem's motivation here is love, so Hashem's unfathomable restraint is an expression of unfathomable love. What happens when I feel loved, when I truly feel loved, automatically what happens? I feel loving, right? It reciprocates. So, I feel loved, now I feel loving. Furthermore, in this case, it's not just I feel loved, therefore I feel loving, but I want to be loving in the same way in which I'm loved. Not just generally that there is a two-way street of love, but there's a particular kind of love coming from God that we're talking about right here. By the way, you want to hear something Adorable. Yes. <laughs> I think it's adorable. I think it is so gooey, sticky, sweet, like it is absolutely the most 
just beautiful. Do you remember when we spoke about two levels in love and fear back in 43? Back in 43, we spoke about one of the types of love was called avas oilam. Right? You think about the vastness of creation, and then, but Hashem made all of that. And so if I love the things of this world or have an affinity toward them, then how much more so I should love him as the source of these things. Do you know that Hashem also has Avas Oilom? How could that be? I thought Avas Oilom was our thing. It is, it's so adorable. We have our Avas Oilom. He has his Avas Oilom. Avas Oilom Right? We say it in the blessings before Shema. And we're going to discuss that in a minute. What are the blessings before Shema? And why are they called blessings of Shema when they don't speak about Shema? But let's focus one second on just this term. He, he has showed us a, a, an abundance or disproportionate love. Avas Olam means Ahavat Olam. The specific manifestation of love that Hashem shows by creating an oilam, by creating a world, by creating the finite. The creation of the finite is an expression of love. Because the creation of the finite means that He made space for us. That he held himself back for us. So we have our Ahavas Oilam, and he has his Ahavas Oilam. And they have the same name, and I think that is so heartwarming. They're two totally different things. I don't want to confuse you because we're in the midst of talking about the reciprocal love right now and our reciprocation of his Avas Elam is not the love that we call our Avas Elam. So I don't want to confuse you. <laughs> Avas Elam that we feel toward Hashem is like I said in chapter 43, we consider how there are things in the world that we care for and that he made them, therefore we should care for him. But this is not what we're talking about here in chapter 49. In chapter 49, we're talking about this. <coughs> Reciprocal love. And it's a very simple formula. You're going to fill it in for me. If Hashem, so to speak, inconveniences himself, sets himself aside, so to speak, in order to make room for me, therefore, what do I feel like doing? I feel like inconveniencing myself, setting myself aside in order to make room for him. And let's spell it out. How do I make room for him in my life? How do I show him that I cherish the imposition. Because isn't that love, or isn't that one way of showing love? That I cherish the imposition. I could be doing what I want, but I delight in the ability to do what you want. I cherish the imposition. Is it an imposition? Yeah, it is, of course. I'm not pretending it's not. Of course it's an imposition. But I cherish the imposition. I cherish the opportunity to take myself and make that a space for you. When I become a space for my beloved, that is the ultimate intimacy. So, let's speak in very practical, down-to-earth words. How do I set myself aside 
and make space for him. What do I collapse on the floor and I don't move? Do what he wants, do mitzvahs. Do what he wants, do mitzvahs, that's right. So chapter 49 says, think about, really think about, meditate on how Hashem lovingly puts himself aside to make room for you. And based on the principle of reciprocal love that we first learned in chapter 46, you will be moved to want to put yourself aside to make room for him by performing mitzvahs. Yeah. If ultimately it's really not hard for God because he's God, right. he's made in God's image, then is the message ultimately that really putting ourselves aside to make room for God and to do mitzvahs really is not hard for us? Or ultimately won't be hard for us? Or is better for us? That's an interesting idea. I don't know. I never heard that. Uh -huh. okay. That's good. By the way, I promised that I would get back to the blessings of Shema. We have a few minutes, so I want to get into that for a second. We have something in davening, in the morning prayers. Um, it's a significant section of the davening, which we call the blessings of Shema. And uh, it's interesting that they're called blessings of Shema because other than the fact that they precede the Shema, it's hard to see any connection between these blessings and the actual content spoken about in the Shema. So the Altarab explains like this. The blessings of Shema are a tour through the worlds, through the Tzimtzum. That's why we talk about all the different angels and levels of angels. And what's supposed to be happening is it's almost like being taken behind the, the door that says employees only and seeing the factory how they make the product that you enjoy and realizing what goes into it everything that's behind the experience the user and experience once you realize how many layers of reality which are layers of concealment go into the final end product of being a soul in a body able to serve God. Then you will come to Shema, you will come to this declaration of Hashem's unity, the realization that it's all Him, it's all happening within Him, and you will feel like loving Him via hafta Hashem and not only you will feel like loving him, but you will be ready to surrender everything that belongs to you. What does it mean to make space for him? It means that I will hold nothing back. I'm ready to sacrifice it all. I'm ready to let go of anything that is near and dear to me in order to make space for him. So it's not just that I'm willing <coughs> to make space for him, which means I'm willing to do the mitzvahs. It's even more than that. I'm willing to forego what's important to me I'm willing to forego what is meaningful to me in order to do what is important and meaningful to him. And I want to do this. I'm happy to be able to do this. I'm grateful for the opportunity to reciprocate the love of the 
of my beloved. So now we have another kind of love in our toolkit. Chapters 48 and 49. Think about how Hashem removes himself to make space for us to be able to have the agency to have a loving relationship with him. We will be moved to make space for him, which means to forego whatever is comfortable for us or even that which is even that which we deem necessary to us in order to act lovingly, to respond lovingly to him. And again, being this is based on the reciprocal dynamic of love that we learned about in chapter 46, this should happen fairly automatically. The only part of it that's not automated, the only part that you have to actually do something about is the meditation. You have to actually think about it. But if you will think about it, then the, the natural emotional reaction which will ensue is exactly as we have described here in this chapter. Anything else before we tie up 48 49? But we got one and then I got two. Okay, let's do it quickly. Yeah. Rebbe, so are you talking about when we suffer, when we perceive that we are suffering, um, or we're in pain, are we at that point like just able to, that's what we're working So for? the subject of suffering, I would say, refer back to chapter 26. <clears throat> Here we're not talking about suffering, we're talking about the uh, the inconvenience of doing God's will when we don't feel like it. Yeah. I just want to know why you mentioned like the inconsistent reality that you're in Syria. I don't know what the Why do we get into the different worlds? When you started explaining The reason we talk about the different worlds and the different levels of worlds is just to give you a taste of how much is going on behind the face of the watch. All the gears that are working behind the face of the watch. In other words, when we say tzimtzum, we want you to have some comprehension of the amount of work that's involved. Because, after all, the end result, your emotional reaction, is going to be based on your appreciation of what tzimtzum entails. So we wanted to have some concept of what symptom entails. Some concept, even though, as the author says clearly, this is not the place to really get into it in detail. One more question? Yeah? If God's will is really for our benefits, yeah. it's really our will. It's the same thing. Well, yeah, once you realize that, then God's will is your will. That's right. That's right. It is. That's and all there is to it. That's all there is to it. Yeah, because it's for our benefit. That's right. Is that correct? Yeah, yes, it's 100% correct. Okay, thanks.